exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Disco Fever. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. And once again, the two marks are delivering a reverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation, and social commentary. Has Giorgio joined the Royal Camelto Dance Company with their skin-tight leotard? Has the Wicked Witch of the West joined the cast of Discovery? Has Tilly won her game of catchphrase bingo? And will someone close that bloody shuttle door? All this and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hey dude, how are you doing? Not bad. I have been doing some Christmas shopping. No. We are in December. I thought I would support some local charities and get some advent calendars. So I got a Microsoft Windows advent calendar. If you open too many windows, they all close down unexpectedly. <laughs> I bought a Jehovah's Witness calendar and behind every door you're told to fuck off. (laughs) And I bought a Christmas tree and the guy asked me if I was going to put it up myself and I said no, I was thinking the living room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dearie me. A bit of festive lols to begin. Oh banters. How are you my friend? I'm good. I'm feeling a lot better. In fact, I'd rather have watched you do a set of that stuff than watch this episode if that's an indication of where this episode is likely to head. Well, listeners, be prepared for the best bit to have just gone. Yes, if you feel that we are unduly harsh on Star Trek and we bag on it far too much on a general basis, then this is not necessarily going to be the episode for you because... I've always tried to draw on positives when there's been episodes that I'm not particularly keen on. Quite frankly, this episode doesn't deserve that effort. In fairness, you do try to give a balanced review. I, on the other hand, sound like I have no interest for Star Trek at all. It's not the case. I'm a big fan. But I do deserve to be treated by my consistency of being a fan, by people not being lazy and produce decent stuff. Oh, yes. Anyway, before we get on that, let's do some housekeeping. (laughs) Because before... Before people switch off because they've decided they don't want to listen to us because they're right bunch of moaning bastards. If you do enjoy the show, do us a favour, give us a review. Uh, that'd be really handy. It means that more people see it, so we might get more listeners and ultimately it'd be nice to know that we're not talking to just one another. Although I wouldn't mind that, mate. I agree. I think we have more fun between this than watching the episode sometimes. Indeed. If you've stumbled across the show, then presumably you're going to subscribe and then it'll automatically download onto your device. Check us out on social media. We're on Picard Talk. That's P-I-C-H-A-R-D Talk. All one word. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Go and give us a follow. We want your comments. So whenever we do a post, you just throw on your comments and they can be positive. If you want, they can be negative. We don't mind. We want your honest and candid thoughts. And provided it's something that's not going to end up with us being locked away in prison or opening up an MI5 or indeed a CIA file, we're happy to read them out on the show as well. For example, this week's episode Twitter poll is open. It's up. It's there. Go and vote on there about what you thought about the show. And if you feel that just a click on a voting poll doesn't properly give you the opportunity to vent your frustrations or to argue your course for why this was the most amazing Star Trek episode ever, then stick your comments in there and we will read them out in the show. Before we go further, would you like to hear what the results of the poll from last week's episode was? Yes, please. 60% of you thought that the episode was like having a trainee as a boss, as in frustrating and a bit shit. Oh, really? Yeah. 40% thought that it was wonderful, or as we phrased it, being in that kind of book club. Innuendo intended. It was a victory for those who thought the episode wasn't all that great. It's good that other people agree then with what we established last episode. Yeah, we didn't get any comments though, so I would love to hear people's comments on why they thought it was a bad episode. It does help to add a bit of context. This isn't criticism of those people who voted, because quite frankly, I'm grateful of any sort of interaction. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it does help if you've got some comments because of course adding context to well context is for kings as Captain Lorca used to say Indeed. and I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment it just gives us another avenue to respond to people if they've got their comments on the show otherwise we're just shouting into the void indeed shall we read the synopsis for this episode and then get stuck into kicking the shit out of it Burnham and the USS Discovery crew travel to Buck's home planet to help rescue him from Asira the formidable leader of the Emerald Current meanwhile Stamets and Adira continue the search for valuable information about the origin of the burn discuss now I always watch these episodes first thing on a Friday morning because they drop at about 8 o'clock on a Friday morning although as we discussed in a previous episode not consistently for me it's the last day of work although ironically I work at the weekend let's ignore that it's the last working weekday and I always like Fridays Fridays just have a nice feel to them this is like one of the most amazing ways to start one of my favourite days of the week and so I sat here I put my telly on I watched the programme and Jonathan Frakes's name popped up as the director and I thought hot dog this is going to be a cracking Friday morning that's what I thought unfortunately Jonathan Frakes has dropped a bollock here uh, in fact he's dropped two <laughs> in fact he's dropped a bag of them because quite frankly the shambles that he produced was just disappointing to the extent that I normally watch the episode a second time so I can make notes sorry I watched the episode a second time so I can scribble the odd random word down <laughs> Nelps, I think, is overstating it. And today, I couldn't be arsed watching this second episode. I had too much work that was far more important to do. I sort of mirror that. I tend to watch it a couple of times, or if I've got time to watch it once, I'll stop it, rewind it, and go back to bits. There were a lot of things that popped out, but basically a bag of bollocks is probably a more apt description. There were balls everywhere, although there were probably sea locusts bobbing around, wanking everywhere. <laughs> You were probably watching it, laughing to yourself, thinking I was watching it seething. I mean, where do you start with it? I mean, let's start with the fact that this is just another normal run-of-the-mill Star Trek one-off, almost self-contained episode. They tried to link a few sort of storylines, which, quite frankly, I couldn't care less about because they've been given so little time and so little credence. The Burn, couldn't care about that. They gave that sort of 30 seconds of a quick mention. Tilly being the first officer, although we'll come to this later, not particularly impressed with how she's been used in that role. It was another away mission to another planet that looked identical to other planets that we've been to before. In fact, when I was trying to find the image to go with the post that we did on social media saying, look, we watched the episode, what do you think? Someone had actually produced or put up another image of Saru standing on a planet that looked pretty much identical. So it's like, mm, planets looking the same. The story arc on that planet was so rushed and so half-arsed. It was offensive. I mean, there was nothing about that storyline that didn't just make me angry. And then the Giorgio bit, which, again, I just, you know what? I can't even be arsed with it. Well, this week's spoon-fed learning point is dementia. I don't even know what it is that she's got, but what irritates me is, well, let's start with the Giorgio storyline then. Giorgio is obviously having flashbacks or something. We don't know what it is yet. Theoretically, she's going to die, although we know in Discovery nobody dies, or if they do die, they come back to life again, so we need worry about that bit but she was just you know the quibs she throws out all the time aren't mm. funny if they're all the time it's those slicing cutting comments that you throw into a normal conversation that usually make you go oh shit yeah she just said that that's hilarious that's how you use that kind of barb sort of a sarcastic approach to life not every sentence that comes out of your mouth because what you end up doing is flogging the horse to the point where it can't walk anymore in this instance you get bored of listening to the fact that she pretends that she doesn't take anything seriously when in actual fact just having a normal conversation isn't that hard. They've overused it to the point where, where she was funny and added the lightheartedness to a scene or part of the story. It's her defence mechanism isn't it? She's clearly not comfortable with the fact that she could be dying and has brain disease. We know her witticisms but now it's being used to the point it's no longer funny. It creates Sonny doesn't it? it does, it's like Well she shouldn't right. be funny all the time. She's a mass murderer. She is mm. a dictator so when they were trying to put her to sleep rather than coming out with some stupid witty retorts what she should have really been saying is you better make sure I don't die or I'll kill you or you know something stupid like that and it isn't said in a sort of a light hearted way it's like a, I will literally do painful things to you 
if this goes wrong in the way that she would do in her universe where she ruled with an iron fist and if somebody overcooked a toast in the morning she'd have their arms lopped off because it's inappropriate that they should ever be able to make toast ever again that's how it should be there should be that light and shade of the character whereas today it was just a constant it was comedy it was slapstick all the way through well we've always compared her to the panto villain which works in a particular environment and in a construct and if you find out that you're gonna die why would you not just leave it with the doctors to find out the problem she knows full well that what would happen in her universe isn't going to happen in this universe i mean i appreciate she may have trust issues and it might be so deeply ingrained that she doesn't want to work closer with people but by the same token there's nothing she's ever witnessed or seen by any of the people on that ship that justifies her not going all right what the results doctor as opposed to pinching the results to try and hide them somehow it just feels shit i mean it's just lazy writing and because she was santo villain as you say that horrible acting that she does that irked me about the serious Giorgio came right back today and I, I just found every scene with a painful well that's the thing we've both of us have commented in different episodes about Giorgio is when she was being herself you didn't particularly like that or we've warmed to her as the panto villain it's run its course and it's as if now because we know that she's got a spin-off show the writers have just given up and the other thing which makes it more difficult is the experiences she's going through is actually referenced a little bit in one of the tie-in books to the series unless you've read the tie-in book and know that she has a crossover with Emily Dax you wouldn't understand what she's going through anyway like you and I who don't have much time to read novels we would be watching this as a show wishing the show to give us enough information so we can formulate our own understanding of what she's going through on the basis alone that you've been told you've got a brain disorder whether it be brain tumour you would probably want to be helped whether you were a panto villain or not actually do you know what someone like Georgia would do particularly she's trying to be in section 31 is she'd realise that there's something not right and try and figure out the problem by running tests on herself to try and find out the problem herself in secret so that she could then deal with it as best she can herself and if she can then go and seek the help of people but on the hush hush that's how you would do it you wouldn't just keep on ignoring it and pretending nothing's happening and then just ignoring it some more until the point where you actually get dragged before a doctor that's not how that character would act well any villain of any kind would have a inflated appreciation of self-preservation they exactly. would not be acting that way at all i'm sure people will disagree and you can if you listen to last episode mark and i are always right the thing is if you were a villain i've seen enough movies and tv shows to know that the main villain has every intent to remain alive no matter what the cost so if you have to kill a million people to stay alive they will do that for her to be the way she is and want to alienate herself from the people who potentially could provide her the solution to her problem didn't sit as it should we haven't had the time to give a toss we know what's going to happin because she's been signed up for the section 31 spin-off hasn't she the rumors are that she has and i suspect in fact the word leak is just another way to tell people and market yourself a bit better subversively so, give you the information yeah, you want yeah if she has been cast in the show you and i already know the outcome that she won't die we're not really focused on this particular storyline she'll have to just go back in time to where she came from it'll be like a trans dimensional headache the only way to solve it is to undo some of the trans stuff she's been doing so she goes back to where the original time in the universe if not necessarily her universe and then joins up with section 31 because she's got knowledge of the future which means that she's super clever it wouldn't surprise me one iota if that isn't what's happened or she ends up in section 31 in this universe either which way she's not getting killed is she no i love it when you talk tacky <laughs> but then we see that's the thing so Giorgio has a brain disorder story arc closed book is an empath story arc closed well what, one question before we get on to that sorry just to go back to the very beginning yeah you nearly revved me engine there without i'll just whack it back into first gear again yeah sorry because i saw you took an intake of breath there so i thought he's got something to say on this but before we get on to book pardon um <laughs> Is Burnham the only person who can go on away missions? Well, clearly. It makes sense that she goes on this mission, although, again, on other Star Trek series, they were allowed to send more than one, two people down each away mission. In fact, they usually had a team of people dependent upon what they were doing. Well, it's called an away team for a reason. It's not an away couple. (laughs) That's something else. That's a different podcast entirely. (laughs) 
dawned on me that it's either Saru or Burnham or Pike and Burnham or Buck and Burnham, the cop show. It's not like Burnham actually for a change, just stay on the bridge and we'll send a group of red shirts, which probably at the moment hasn't even established itself as a trope. How many Enterprise people did? Well, they had the Mako, didn't they? So they were well armed. No one was going to kill them off. Before they became less militarised and more science focused, the red shirts probably hasn't become a trope yet. So you'd have five people, you're being down as an advanced party, which you would do anyway. And then they would say, yeah, it's safe to come down. And then you might have some higher level ranking officers come down after them. But you'd still have Burnham, who you don't trust, by the way, staying on the ship. In this episode, it makes sense that she's the one that goes with Buck. It makes sense again that just her and Buck go down. However, you're talking then about all the previous episodes. And in that case, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We used to make fun of the fact that it used to be Ash Tyler. And basically, it's whoever Burnham's boinking goes on the away missions. It's like, you're in my gang and you can come with me to my party. And the other theory is all the people who tend to come with her end up getting killed off very early on. If you remember in one of the, was it season? It was the beginning two. of season two when that fellow was in the ship going, oh, look at me. I'm super clever with my super piloting skills. And we're going, you're fucking dying. Because no one else gets to go on an away mission. So you wonder whether that's been orchestrated by her. He went, I'm not even wearing red. Going, don't matter on this, ev- on this series. You're going, bye. He is a bug on a windshield. <laughs> No, you are right. It did make sense this time. It was just that I saw it again and it actually just dawned on me on episode eight of season three. It's about to go across you there. If Burnham ever ends up with an STD, all they need to do is look at the logs of the away missions to see who she's been with. And they'll be like, right, we need to check him. We need to tell him. We need to tell him. Or maybe her as well. I mean, who knows? We haven't got to that far in the storyline. But the fact is that... We can now trace her sexual activity right the way through to presumably the Academy. Probably. Well, I mean, there's only 70 odd people on the Discovery right now. She's probably pluked them all. <laughs> well. <laughs> when you're checking people's logs, you mean stool samples? <laughs> oh, well, it depends what kind of an STD it is, I guess. Because uh, Dr. Pollard's going to be very busy with this deep and a pile of shit. <laughs> Oh, so we've covered Giorgio. We've started talking about Buck now and Burnham. Let's do this waste of time of a storyline because obviously we get called to Buck's planet, which doesn't come as a great surprise because something tragic's happening and they need to fix it. Just before we get stuck into the brother arc thing, the Emerald Chain, do we actually give a shit about it? Because we keep on hearing about it, but I've seen nothing that even remotely makes me interested in it. We've had the young green fella on the planet who was overcome and outwitted by the shittiest plan in the world ever. Now we've got the head of this chain, who is just another green person with a mighty chin, by the way. Well, that's why I referred to the Witch of the East. I've got an Easter egg about her actual life. Well, she's got one hell of a jawline going on. One of the things that I mentioned in our first episode was that I noticed that they'd bulked up both the Orions and the, not Tellarites. Andorians? Andorians. You'll appreciate the haven't seen the Orions and the Andorians many times throughout Star Trek canon. They've really beefed them up and made them very androgynous. Which is strange for the Orions because the females used to conquer through seduction. Now, I don't know about you, but a hefty jawline isn't the first thing I go for in in a woman and I appreciate why they now want to move on from the female Orions being used in that way because of course probably a very 60s 70s 80s rather sexist trope to get the girls out in the bikinis and and have them seducing by just being generally sexy so I understand why you want to move away from that but it's kind of now to the point where they're practically unrecognisable in the way that they operate as a race from what we knew certainly in the likes of the next gen and Deep Space Nine although they have used them in Discovery Season 2 when they go to that trading post there was Orion Slave Girls however it is explained in Discovery that the whole Orion Slave Girl understanding is that they use that as you say for power it looked like they were enslaved but they were the ones running the Orion government what Discovery has done has in fact just given you a different viewpoint yeah and the interesting connection to my little joke about the Wicked Witch is if anyone's seen the play Wicked they'll understand it takes the perspective from the Wicked Witch of the West 
sister's position, which is that her sister's just had a house land on a killer and the woman who killed her is wearing her shoes. <laughs> so it is a matter of perspective, isn't it? Yeah, I just don't care about them. They don't scare me. They're not interesting. I'm not bothered. Like I say, the young guy that we met a couple of episodes ago, he was outsmarted by a wasp. The head honcho today's mighty ship that was armed to the teeth was beaten by a tiny little ship that presumably they could have blown up if they'd have only hit it and perhaps they didn't think about installing any targeting systems whilst they were loading up those huge numbers of guns that they were doing. Just don't care. There's nothing I've seen about them that adds any layers other than they are the stereotypical gangsters ruling the planet. They've not added any weight to what they do so we haven't seen any really abject cruelty or murder. You know, like the Romulans, the Romulans are always dead nervous about because they were so subversive. They'd, they'd have agents who'd been visually altered and you didn't know they were Romulans or, mm. you know, they had the changelings, you didn't know who they were or where they were. The Klingons, it didn't matter, they'd just start a fight anyway. The Cardassians were like slippery snakes, you never knew whether they were the goodies or the baddies. They were pretending to be the goodies, but behind your back they were being the baddies. There was kind of layers to them. I just don't feel there's any layers whatsoever to this chain gang that seems to be in charge of everything. Well, I mean, a couple of things on the point you're making there. I mean, I think at some point in this episode, Jonathan Frakes was confused and thought he was filming a scene for Star Wars uh, where Detmer essentially is Han Solo flying the Millennium Falcon attacking a Star Destroyer. So attached to that, it also appears that very quickly Detmer has recovered from her PTSD, story arc closed, and is back to her normal fighting self. Book ship, did anyone notice that it just managed to get out of the open shuttle bay doors? Somebody in the creative department needs to look at a scale. When your ship is almost the same width as the shuttle bay doors, you've got some problems. But even then, it looked like Book was doing a trench run on the Death Star. When Detmer was flying it, she's sort of using this texture style panel which alters with the fingers which is essentially the joysticks that she then reproduces when she wants to go into super bold pilot mode but if you watch she keeps on looking down at the control panel as though these weird things are going to start showing her some information it's like where the fuck are you looking it's all just weird grey do you know them pin machines you used to get where you'd smack it on your face and it'd leave like a shit for the benefit I'll just put my hand over my face face hugger you used to smack it into your face and the sort of a profile of your face it, they're a bit like that you might have smacked it into your face I just put my hand in it you were a bit more violent with it than I would be <laughs> sorry bought, let, let me correct that I used to smack it in the face of my sisters <laughs> <laughs> that's better see you're like a wannabe villain I was just trying to be nice about it <laughs> no don't I mean, I think the statute of limitations well and truly gone now. You're okay. As Jonathan Frakes directed this episode, all that was with the joysticks was a big, massive throwback to when he did the manual control in, what was the film? Interaction. He directed, by the way. All this is is a love story to Jonathan Frakes. I mean, the effects of the pilot bit, the special effects were amazing and it was a great sort of action scene as it were. It falls within the same quality as the rest of this episode. It was just outrageously cheesy. What Frakes must have done was sit watch for a month solid every 80s and 90s buddy cop series and soap opera and copy and paste their scripts because that's what it was everything that was coming out of Dietmar's mouth oh, I could do this yes don't worry the fellow without the antennas were going careful it's too tight it's like the eye of a needle she'll go oh yes but I love eyes of needles so, you know that shit just uttered shit like it's so shit <laughs> Was it shit? Oh my god. It spoils what was a brilliant action scene because I'm sitting there thinking, as you say, Dima's PTSD suddenly vanished. She's jibbed off what is probably technology that's making it substantially easier to manoeuvre this ship for stupid joysticks as though that's going to make a difference. This ship is up against something that's like a million times its size with a million of its guns and yet nobody can shoot this one ship. I mean, seriously, the computers can't. Is that because she's flying around in such a cool, funky fashion? Meanwhile, discover sitting there doing absolutely diddly squat. The whole look of it was just a massive rip-off. I mean, last episode I mentioned it was a rip-off of Total Recall. This episode is a massive rip-off of Star Wars. You know, I'm very happy with The Mandalorian. Thank you very much. So, Jonathan Frakes, why don't you have a word with Jon Favreau of how to look after a fan base? Because you massively dropped the ball, sack. Yeah. Well, you've got this Andorian geezer who appears to be very valuable to the Emerald Gang. I can't even be asked trying to remember what they're called. I'm just going to call them the baddies. So, he 
he's really valuable to the baddies. We find out later it's because he knows that they're running out of dilithium. Well, on the basis that everybody is scratching around trying to find dilithium, even that's not particularly big news, is it? Because everyone's short on dilithium. That's why everyone's fighting tooth and nail for the buddy stuff. Would that have been an important piece of information to be an opener in the 35 seconds of the show? Why are we waiting to minute 47? Why are you valuable? Oh, well, that's the first question I would ask as soon as you're on my ship. Why have we got you on here? Why are we protecting you? Oh, well, it's because they've got no dilithium. And they go, right, tell me something I don't know. We've gone through all of this time fanning around with sea locusts running through Sherwood Forest to find out that the piece of information that we get told, we could have been told within the first five seconds of the show. He gets on the ship and he's constantly saying he's frightened while they're flying around, which is a perfectly normal and legitimate emotion to be experiencing. And then Dima, with these amazing words, turns around and goes, yes, but you've been brave before. You need to be brave again. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, last time this fellow was brave, he had his antlers cut off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, it didn't end well for him the first time. So I can understand his retinence to want to be brave a second time. And then this cat jumps on him and goes, oh my God, what's this? And she obviously goes, it's a cat. And then the next scene, he's hugging it. And it's like, why would you hug it? You don't know what it is. First thing you do is like, oh, fucking get off me, you little bastard. You know what I mean? As it sprayed you and you smell of musk. <laughs> Well, I do that if somebody's cat jumps on me now. So if I didn't know what a cat was, I'd be even less inclined to having it sitting on my lap. What, you spray on it? you got to show it who's boss. Yeah. <laughs> that just epitomised the whole nature of this episode. Sticking with the ship-orientated stuff, Tilly, we obviously saw this is the first episode where she assumes her role as first officer. And quite frankly, what I've now understood is the first officer's role in the year 31, whatever it is, is basically she's a glorified secretary to the captain, which isn't mm. what I understood the first officer to be. First officer is a very, very important important role and far more valuable than being a glorified PA if I might add it's sad when everyone's fighting for equal rights and then be given that role only to go back in time to the 1950s get us a cup of tea love slap her on the bum cheeks off you go in some way I think this show is trying to be trailblazing it fails I must add at every single point to be a trailblazer I get it's trying to be all things to all people and I think that's its problem instead of just being one thing which is a sci-fi show that has an, uh, an established fan base and as you said last week explore and um, new generations of fans. You don't need to be all things and just tick boxes and panda. Like I keep saying it, it gets boring, really. You can just be a show that's got its own thing and that will allow the natural approach to storylines to evolve rather than what clearly has happened in this episode, which is literally just ticking off a list of things as subquests. Well, I get you know, fed up of watching these scenes where they're talking whilst walking down the corridor. It's boring. Stop doing it. It's not the West Wing. What they needed to do was have Tilly and Saru captain and first officer having their meeting where presumably they're talking about sensitive information having it in his captain's office that's where it should be held he's got a couch where they could both be sitting quite casually together discussing important things in private so it can't be overheard instead they're walking through the corridor and he's going wow what have I got on my diary this morning well at 12 o'clock you've got this sir and at 1 o'clock you've got this sir and and it did it felt like it was a secretary reeling off his diary for the day he should be either knowing his diary or having some do that not the first officer the first officer's there to have serious conversations about serious issues I mean I haven't seen any of the job description for a first officer but I'm sure that it doesn't need to replicate an episode of Mad Men I've seen it before when Picard's in his ready room and he says computer da, 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 and the computer says yes you've got a meeting at 2 o'clock FaceTime you don't need anybody you have a computer like a updated Alexa I don't know whether the computer would turn itself off if you say are you owned by the CIA the whole ship just goes into darkness I don't know chances are if it's using the new Apple iOS system it probably transfer all the powers to the other ship like it does in my airpods at the minute where whenever i'm trying to talk to someone using my airpods on my phone it randomly decides to transfer it onto the computer where there is nobody to hear or talk to so I end up having a conversation with nobody while someone on my phone's going hello hello and i'm sure discovery if, to cut a long story short apple sort your shit out will you because if i'm if i'm having a bad day in the morning you're getting it as well we've just lost apple as a sponsor <laughs> add that to our list that's the problem where they try to backfill some narrative to what we're watching
watching is usually done in a corridor scene. The other thing, I probably come across as someone who doesn't appreciate the LGBT community, but the reality is, is it's actually the complete opposite. If people hear and listen to what I actually say, it's that I feel that there should be more time added to these stories. And if you are too trailblaze, take leaves out of the books of Madam Secretary or Bull or other TV shows that are very episodic in their nature, but that can address a subject matter very, very respectfully and give the person who's watching enough information about the subject matter to come to a conclusion rather than throw it in. Because apparently we've only just introduced preferred pronouns in the 32nd century. Don't mind that. I mean, the characters involved in this particular story thread, maybe this is the problem. There was that many story threads running. There was no substance to any of them. This particular storyline, I really enjoyed Stamets being caring Stamets again. I mean, that was nice. That was good. He's certainly more palatable when he's like that. Colbert was again good in this episode because he's got light and shade and I suppose that's where Stamets comes in because I don't hate Stamets like you do. I actually quite like him as the belligerent ass but I also like him as the person with the considerate friend, supportive friend or mentor that he is here and Colbert's the same. Colbert again light and shade in the same way as Stamets is light and shade. Colbert has been really understanding. He's been very concerned about the well-being of the crew throughout the last few episodes and then Giorgio starts being a dickhead and he stands his ground and he is quite forward to her about where he stands on it and stands up to her. You've kind of got those characters that I thought were the few people who actually were good in this episode but that's largely because they had light and shade. Adira worries me as a character so far because at the moment she's just manically depressed all the time and actually when we first met her she wasn't and they at the moment lack that light and shade because every time Adira's on the screen it's a conversation about what's wrong, what's not working and how they don't feel right etc etc which is fine as a story thread to have but if you don't throw some light and shade in whenever the episode pans to them I'm struggling with this this is the good thing about that I've never come across anyone who needs that pronoun to be used so it's difficult for me if that applies to you or you know someone who applies to you my apologies I am trying but when they come on the screen if the only thing that I ever expect of them is misery and depressive story arcs I immediately sort of back off from it because there's only so much of that we've said that previously where we're looking to Star Trek as an outlet from the misery of the world we don't want to have that heaped on us in massive spades fulls because that then stops being entertainment for me it starts becoming a magnifying glass for the miserable world that we live in and kind of takes the shine off my Friday morning's excitement if you know what I mean that's exactly the problem this show has got far too many modifiers to it this thing now is if you go woke you go broke Black Lightning's just been cancelled Supergirl has just been cancelled they're two shows that have been trying to be more woke and pander to tokenism and everything else and and the problem is the the modifiers you don't need you can tell a story without having to keep adding in things that tick boxes of people because it doesn't represent them as well as people think they do it's just I think you're more pioneering or trailblazing and the reality is linguistics aren't forced the English language develops naturally so the reason why we say Asian rather than Oriental is because people have naturally done it it's not forced it's not moderated it's not controlled by federal government linguistics naturally moves so to be told about preferred pronouns in the 32nd century by the way has no value because we're in the future if you remember Red Dwarf I've said this before Red Dwarf was a show I think from the 90s and at the time two of its main lead characters were black and the creator was asked in an interview why they never mentioned the fact that the characters in the show are black and he went why would we it's in the future it's not an issue and exactly the same thing here they were in the future preferred pronouns shouldn't be something we need to be reminded about it should be natural in the story and the problem is because Adira is having an identity crisis almost echoes Esri Dax's issues with her personality traits we've never been subjected to enough of her storyline to care that's the absence of the light and the shade because if you get some of the positive element of their personality beforehand or mixed in and amongst it so when we first met Adira she was quite a cheeky witty individual who was clearly very talented at what they did but since then it's just been this doldrum journey of struggling with the situation that she's in which is slightly ironic because I don't think there's any indication that she was struggling to this extent before this happened and without there being sort of that positive thing so I don't know she plays a practical joke on someone in the science room we all laugh at it and become a bit more enamoured with that character because we suddenly realise that when Adira is left to their own devices they'll get up to mischief and that's like cool that's funny I like that bit and then 
even when the conversation of some of the trials and challenges that are being faced by having this symbiont inside come about I'm more sympathetic because I'm more invested in that character whereas I haven't been given enough to enjoy about this character I can see huge potential with this character I just haven't been given enough yet to feel like when Adira's feeling down I'm any more arsed than if Dietmar's feeling down or the security fella whose name I still can't remember is feeling down you know, none of these characters have done anything to earn the need for me to feel any kind of emotions towards them at all this season Stamets Colbert have had really good opportunities for their character to develop more which is partly the reason why I don't particularly find myself gravitating towards them in previous seasons because I don't think they've had the writing quality that they deserve when we've seen them in these particular situations you are absolutely spot on when you say that they shine a dearest character and in fact Grey's character I think are the equivalent to having Uhura in the original series. It brings in characters, wonderful, it is pioneering, it's great. Where it falls short, which is the point I'm making, is they do not have enough time to develop those characters and bring into the narrative explanations. We shouldn't be talking about preferred pronouns in the 32nd century. It's implied that they exist. We dip into their storyline. Where's Grey? That was a ridiculous development because last episode, Grey was there. This episode, Grey's not there. And it's almost dismissed in a sentence, oh, not appearing anymore what's changed from last episode to this episode because we haven't seen anything particularly change ties into the kill your gaze trope you introduce a character which is pioneering but then you quickly kill them off so what was the point of bringing them in if you're going to be a trailblazer leave them in you gave a wonderful explanation of how that story would have been far more appreciated and believable if they hadn't have died and create emotional roller coaster between the two characters of Grey got a better idea for how this story should have been anyway if we're trying to show that Grey stopped appearing and possibly it's because Adira can't quite communicate to Grey in the same way because of all these other personalities or souls or whatever the hell it is inside them. <laughs> what they would have been better off doing is showing Adira waking up in the morning with Grey there and having a chat over breakfast. Sort of a like a montage, a short montage of Adira then getting up in the morning and Grey not being there but then appearing at breakfast. And, you know, the appearances becoming more and more sparse to the point where Adira wakes up one morning, Grey's not there, goes to breakfast, Grey's still not there, plays the cello, Grey's still not there, at which point then becomes that, what's happened, what's changed? And we as the audience are going... Ah, something's changed here as opposed to Adira just sitting there one day going yeah Grey's gone and I'm like oh really okay didn't know that don't really understand why but I'm sure you're going to tell us in about three episodes time in 30 seconds and we're probably going to be expected to care about that development and that's why I don't put much value in these characters I'm not interested in the heuristics behind it I'm not interested in jumping on the, the euphemism treadmill I'm interested in a good story that's executed well that allows me to use a little bit of my grey and come out with a conclusion going, do you know what? I feel for this character a bit like Esri Dax was, lumped at last minute with a symbiote when you have your own life to lead, having lost the person you loved and now left with this dilemma of how do you absorb all these personalities as well as trying to work out your own gender. We've not had enough investment in Adira, or I personally felt the screen time that she's had in the past few episodes to know enough about her to actually care what happens. And the sadness with that is the scene with Culber Stamets was asleep. That was a great scene it was an amazing scene 45 seconds scene it was a scene that could have been developed into something else and what it shows is a really nice link but it also creates another problem which is what you have there is all of the categories or a lot of the categories of the lgbt community all together so what you've created is is another tribe you've created a tribe that excludes all the straight characters there's no integration everyone's fighting to be included there's no inclusivity all you've done is you've got essentially three tribes of the lgbt collective which is not an, an Ryan syndicate and they're all patting each other on the back but none of the straight people have included them as a generalisation because those characters aren't brought in all you're creating is other boundaries and other tribes that aren't speaking to each other from a narrative point of view if you look at all the groupings of the crew you've got Burnham and Buck and then you've got Saru and then you've got Detmer and Aweo and then you've got Stamets, Adira I'm going to include Grey and Culber and they're all together in, in their little group there's no cross integration Dave so, in the transport room poor Dave he's thinking please somebody include me <laughs> just not the one that involved me having to sleep with Burnham because I'm likely to end up on an away mission then well Linus is shedding <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Linus, he's a bit of a slapstick character as well, which I'd like to know a bit more about Linus. I, I'm sure it's fine just making him one of those characters where he's always the butt of the joke. It, I don't know. Because we don't know anything about most of the other officers on the ship, it just feels a bit silly. We've got this character who seems to be getting more time than the security fella who we see in every episode, who gets a speaking part in every episode, and yet he still gets so little time. I still don't know his name. And I'm still not even sure what his position is on the ship. This is where it sounds like we're being really negative towards the show. It's not. There's a lot of opportunities for this show to develop all the things it wants to be. The problem it has is it's been given a set amount of episodes. We've said this before. Every episode seems to unravel more story threads that it can keep up with because we're barreling into the last, is it five episodes? Things that we've kind of covered is the burn could well be what you already thought. It was the Federation have created the problem itself you know very reminiscent of you know the sounds of Star Trek the motion picture and things like that where they've cleverly adapted the modular sounds and worked out that it's a distress signal I mean surely did no one come up with that before oh, oh that's right we needed Adira so we needed that cipher character to come in we've forgotten about Adira we've lost Linus we've lost Reno I said this last week why do we not just have these characters bimbling around the ship why could it not be a case of Saru and Tilly walking down the corridor out of one of the terminal lifts comes Reno and Reno gets asked by Tilly, oh, what do you think about this? But for catchphrase, and Reno makes some sort of glib comment, a little bit of humour. It just adds value to it. Or Reno bumps into Giorgio, and then maybe Giorgio's comments wouldn't be as flat as they ended up being, because Reno would add something to it to give it a bit more gravitas. Like for example, networking meetings. Is it unreasonable to assume that if you're in a networking meeting, apart from absentees, that you're not going to see the same people every week? Yeah. So will you go to a networking meeting and just see three people? No. Exactly. On a ship where you're in an enclosed environment, and we have established there was only 80 odd people to begin with not like the galaxy class starship where there was about 400 people I'm not a mathematician but it's probably more likely you're going to see these people every single day well we've probably seen more of Linus in the last three episodes than we have of Reno we've probably seen more of Linus in this season than we've seen in the totality of the show yeah yeah well it's not great and we mentioned the burn there they obviously moved that painful storyline forward another millimeter again within a 30 second Exchange. I think one of the things that really bothers me about Discovery, and it's actually bothered me about Discovery from the very beginning, when there are these scientific problems to solve, in the likes of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, the whole episode was usually taken up with them trying to come up with a solution to this problem. In Discovery, it always sees these people pulling out solutions out of their arse in a blink of an eye, almost instantaneously fixing things that people haven't been able to fix for generations if ever I think in this particular episode when they were doing the sound waves and they went oh what's that bandwidth and Tilly off the top of her head goes oh it's bandwidth 45275 I can't remember my own phone number so trying to remember some random sound wave that I may have accidentally read about at some point in my life in the off chance that I may or may not ever come across it is highly unlikely and it's those little things that take me out of the show because it then feels like they're just reading the script to move the storyline along as fast as humanly possible. Instead, what they should have been doing is, there's something not quite right about that. Leave it with me, Captain, I'll work on it. And then in the next gen, they'd go away and that plot B would then be covered for a bit. And they'd come back to plot A and they go, how are you getting on? Oh, well, oh, we're having a bloody nightmare. I've hit a bit of a, a bit stuck. Oh, have you thought about doing this? That's a good idea. I'll go away and do that. And then you'd flip to plot B again. And that's how you do it. They didn't solve these gags gantuan problems in 30 seconds by having this witty retort between three of them in a room and coming up with information off the top of their head that nobody could ever and should ever be able to recall off the top of their head. They're not all Rain Man. They're not all these people who absorb everything and keep it in the head forever. That's not how that works. And yet that's how those characters operate. And I just find it shit that the burn has been essentially solved in its entirety up to this point in about two minutes worth of footage. What you've just described there could have been easily established several episodes previous. Adira is a character brought in for a specific task and Adira happens to be the person who can work out subspace harmonics and then Tilly happens to know the frequency. Also, you have a computer. All you would do is run that through the computer and the computer would say, well, I think that's uh, the harmonic number, whatever. Why is it relevant? I mean, sci-fi babble has to be relevant to the reason why. We didn't need to know what particular 
strand of a sound wave that was what they were doing was trying to overlay them to see whether there was anything corresponding and then try and split up out whatever bit it was that Saru was able to gauge from his super mega ears and that's fine but I didn't need to know that 6547532 sound wave was the answer to the question because I don't care that information doesn't help move the storyline on it doesn't particularly help me all I now know is that they've broken the sound wave down to being a distress beacon from surprise surprise a federation ship well that comes as an enormous surprise but again if they'd have done the burn storyline properly they'd have been uncovering these things along the way perhaps and we know that it's going to have been caused by the federation they'd have been uncovering these things but finding blockets so like security clearance wasn't permitted or there was sabotage going on with their investigations they couldn't quite figure out who was doing it or why they were doing it or what was going on only to find out that actually it was the federation sabotaging their attempts because they needed to cover it up you know that storyline has an interest it has an intrigue and it's something that you can run through the whole of the season instead we just ah, you know I don't even care. Well, the only theory I've added to this in the last 30 seconds of listening to you is that the Federation ship that they are hearing is, in fact, the Discovery. Oh, you think? I think it's time. You know, your head's going to explode because every time I talk about time travel. Oh, do you think? Yeah. All right. Okay. Because the short treks where it's out of service and it's in the 32nd century, they've been pushed into the future, which means they've created another version of Discovery because they aren't supposed to be there. They've been pushed there through a trans dimensional warp hole the actual discovery has already naturally gone through there if they hadn't have gone through that future hole <laughs> the discovery would have naturally got to the 32nd century on its own and therefore i think that possibly the admiral knows of something that's happened they've cloaked it in a nebula somewhere and in fact i know i was saying burnham but it's probably more likely based on what you were saying it's the discovery that they find which will tie into the short trek because if you remember a couple of episodes ago the computer got a little bit saucy well that's the same voice and computer for from the short trek. I think it's a great theory. I'm on board with that. I think that will be the case. I think you've actually just solved the burn. Although you solved the burn in about five minutes longer than they're probably going to do in the rest of the series. So <laughs> actually, it's not that impressive if you think about it. We'll see, we'll see. But I mean, I've still got it in episode eight. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Let's move on to the final story arc that we got in this episode, which is the book one. Before we go on another rampage of... Uh, <laughs> dissatisfaction i should say we love book i think we've made it abundantly clear yes. we love book and we also really love burnham who again i thought was really good in this episode new cool burnham two thumbs up all for that that's great and i do like book he's a cool character as well however i thought this storyline was utter shite the need to go back to the planet where he hasn't been since he left because he hated the world seemed weird that he had this desire to go back as quickly as he did it seemed weird that the federation would agree to that in the way that it did this dispute with his brother and i'm interested to understand the mother father <laughs> arrangement there i know it can happen i know it does happen however that's an interesting genetic development when you've got two brothers who look so diametrically different and for them to have hated each other to have then fought against one another and then to have essentially become best buddies again all in the space of about five minutes was ridiculous to say the least made worse by the fact that everything that came out of either of their mouths this episode now book up to this point has been superb so i'm blaming this entirely on the script and not on the character everything that came out of their mouths was just sick puke producing cheese of gargantuan proportion and just wholly unnecessary and that's how I felt about that I've got nothing to add <laughs> It's true, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it was just rubbish. It's like, Book would go, oh, you best put your hands up. And Burnham goes, oh, why? And I'm thinking, because there's loads of people hiding behind the trees and he suddenly magically realised that that's the case. Lo and behold, that's the case. Then there's a conversation with the guy and Burnham doesn't realise it's the brother because looks nothing like Book. I mean, how is it that of the entire planet, the whole planet, it's Book's brother that bumps into him in the woods? Well, it's absolute nonsense, isn't it? It was just shit. It added nothing, did it? This story 
arc added absolutely nothing to this series. It added nothing to Buck as a character. It introduced his brother, who was just crap as a character. The dialogue throughout this episode was atrocious. For this particular storyline, it was absolutely, intolerably atrocious. I totally agree. I don't even know what they were thinking. Perhaps if there'd have been a bit more effort in creating a relationship that we understood, I might have given a shit. I just didn't. It just felt like there was two people who hated each other. It was like those arguments you had in primary school. I don't know, someone didn't pass you the ball at lunchtime, so you got a gob on with them. And then by lunchtime, the fallout you'd had at playtime in that morning had been completely forgotten and you were best mates again. That's what it felt like. I know how to hold a grudge. If someone really upsets me, I'll hold a grudge for a fair while until somebody does something worthy of me reducing myself back from that grudge. One assumes the grudge that those two had with one another kind of falls within that Mm. remit and yet after about five seconds of not an awful lot worthy of dropping the grudge they dropped the grudge it just felt naff it was rubbish it was badly done it was badly written and as a result of which it just felt like it was oh well he just added put it this way normally when i'm watching this program because it's in morning normally me missus is next to me but she's normally on social media doing some social media stuff and working on her business and what have you and she'll repeatedly tell me to shut up as i get (laughs) overexcited at certain points during the episode and try to have a conversation with her about these parts and she'll go mark don't care shut up this particular episode i didn't say a word because it was like dumbstruck horror at the devastation that was caused by this episode and at one point without any prompting sam went oh my god what is this shit you've got on and wow you know what i mean and that's how bad this episode was it was it's terrible the grudge that was being held was by rin who hadn't seen cats before Uh, (laughs) it's awful absolutely awful but for the fact that Jonathan Frakes has given me so much wonder and joy over the years I'd be saying don't ever give him another episode I'm going to put this down to a bad day at the office but on the back of the fact that the last sort of handful of episodes have become more lazy more Star Trek as was in the 80s and the 90s these storylines are being covered in such short time I have to say at this point my patience for season 3 is waning dramatically they need to do a bit like they did on Picard where they went through that sort of mid-season lull of atrocities they had a couple of episodes which were just poor and then they had the Troy Riker episode and just absolutely turned completely 180 sort of led up to what was then a half decent finish to the season they kind of need to do the same thing here because at the moment I'm starting to feel a bit bummed out by this well I'm glad you've joined me on the bridge of HMS pissed off I was there last week and all I want them to do is tell a decent story about the future I don't need them to go off anywhere else interesting that you bring up the Troy and Riker episode the reason why that's a wonderful episode is because you're bringing back characters that you love from a show that ended 20 years ago well I'll go further than that mate that episode worked because the entire episode was Picard Troy and Riker for the whole of that episode there was no jumping around think about it today we had the Giorgio plot the Saru trying to get his head around what he's going to say when they push the button execute and all that nonsense which might have been funnier in a better episode it was grasping at straws you've got the Tilly storyline you've got the Deepmer storyline you've got the Adira storyline you've got the Burns storyline you've got the book on his planet storyline there was seven storylines being juggled in what is already a ridiculously short episode the reason why that Picard episode that we're talking about worked because there was one they put all their energies and all their efforts into making that one particular storyline work they did it and they did it well the phrase less is more springs to mind I can't say it often enough you look at how Next Generation did these things you weren't spoon fed it wasn't painting by numbers you were drawn into the story what would you do as the captain and that's the key ingredient it's not about being told what I need to think people are writing these stories based on what's happening today let's get someone in who's a futurist go and speak to the guy who did the Minority Report film think about why and the problems of tomorrow not the problems of today because we're dealing with those we might not be dealing with them particularly well what a sad indictment would it be that we are now in the 32nd century and fuck all has changed how <laughs> what, what a f- 
<laughs> Absolutely. What a sad indictment of society and a people we should all be eradicated. If we can't sort ourselves out now and we get to the 32nd century and we still don't know that we can be better. We still don't fully comprehend the environment and the need to protect it or whatever yeah. we do doesn't cause detriment to the environment. And as you say, understanding how people want to live their life and to be known and referred and understood as. If we haven't wrapped our heads around that in the 32nd century, you absolutely don't deserve to exist, do you? We're not watching a show in 2020. We're watching a show in 32, whatever it is. And I would love to believe as a human that actually we've learned from our mistake. Why history is such a fundamental thing is so we don't repeat ourselves. So to get to the 32nd century and we're still using fossil fuels, we're still being detrimental to individuals, we're not being inclusive, we're being mean to our fellow brothers and sisters. I lose a lot of interest because it's a story that's older than time itself and I'd like to have that glimpse that we can be better. And that was a party political broadcast brought to you by the Futurist Party. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean? People listening to this probably think I'm just an arsehole. Well, we normally try and keep it a bit more light-hearted, don't we? When we bag on Star Trek, we usually are trying to do it a bit tongue-in-cheek. It's very difficult to do with this episode. I think because we both... I think we both had our quarter of shit episodes. I think I think the quality of the episodes after an amazing start has gradually got worse and worse and worse and I'm hoping we've hit rock bottom with this one and that there is going to be an upturn in the quality of the storylines, in the quality of the scripts and in the quality of the episodes going forward because if I get another one of these I can't guarantee that I'm going to bother my ass to watch the rest of the season and I never would have thought that I would have said that and I know there's bad episodes and I'll put this down to the fact they've had an off day if the next two or three episodes are as dire as this I won't really care what the bloody season finale is if the season finale turns out to be good I'll be really angry that essentially what they've done is saved up the good stuff ready for season four and I'm like well you could have used that season three stuff you could have used that as season three you could have made season three amazing and if that meant you were struggling to come up with an idea for season four draw a line under discovery and say we had an amazing idea for season three it was mega we couldn't come up with something that was as good for season four so we decided not to bother don't string it out just because that makes more money because that pisses me off because i start becoming a commodity and being treated like a commodity the sad thing is that you've come to the same conclusion i was thinking of a couple of episodes ago would i get to a point where i cared less about what happened in star trek discovery and last episode reinforced it further this episode hasn't done me any favours and then when you say the same thing and you've come to the same conclusion it just resonates a bit more you mentioned it last episode when it's competing with other TV shows HBO being one of the main contenders of producing amazing content when there's so many different options available to you Disney Plus again another one Netflix Amazon all of the main streaming companies are churning out really good quality shows Queen's Gambit you mentioned oh yeah Queen's Gambit now it's only six episodes seven episodes six, yeah. seven. what an amazing show and the reason I watched it like I did is because I got to the end of the episode and I was like I need to see this where this goes and that's the point the question I would need to ask myself is would I binge this show and I think my eyes would start rolling and have to have something else there's so many shows I mean I've just watched The Undoing have you seen that? Yeah. Six episodes I keep mentioning The Mandalorian what an amazing show written by created by John Favreau who is a fan you can tell he's a fan and he writes it the way a fan would In The Undoing there's one storyline Yes the twists and turns and what it does anyway is subvert your expectation of who you think or what is going to happen and each episode as it ends gives you this craving to watch the next episode because it's a one storyline's done well which is not what this series does nor does it do the 20 episode season so that it allows you enough time to properly explore each character in their background so that you become interested and invested in those characters in the same way as you did in the West Wing yeah. where there's an ensemble of mm. characters and you get to become invested in each of those because at some point during those 20 episodes you spend some time learning about them in the previous Star Trek seasons all of the shows Sons of Anarchy you become invested because they're given time to build the number of episodes that Discovery does isn't enough time to do that and therefore they realise that and so don't do that or no what they actually do is a half-arsed attempt to squeeze it in by the same token they then dilute the number of storylines and the quality with which they can then fulfil it so actually what they do is they fulfil neither of those briefs they do both badly and that's where we're at at the minute for me there is no 
solution to that the only solution is choose fewer plot lines and do it properly which you have to accept will be at the sacrifice of being able to have as well padded out ensemble which i can live with if you give me good storylines or give me longer more episodes that will allow you to do the padding out of the ensemble so that i can actually care about them don't do either badly otherwise it just irks me and thus ends my sermon look this episode for me was about closing five or six different storylines so we can focus on the, the bear probably yeah. yeah if the big bad was this orion syndicate thing they're not that bad so i'm now not interested in them thus ends my interest in saying anymore have we got any easter eggs do i care warning warning Photon torpedoes get mentioned. It's clear that the Orion Syndicate or the Emerald Chain, as it's now known, is using old school technology, which is a bit shit considering <laughs> that we're in the 32nd century. So you know, it's like using a CD player to play music, isn't it? Throwing CDs at someone who's got a machine gun. <laughs> a better example there would have been throwing rocks at someone with a machine gun. Prime Directive violations that was mentioned. The chain has turned Prime Directive violations into an art form. What they do is they visit pre-war planet and then exploit them. Kind of links to how the Terran Empire was in the Mirror Universe. You see, I picked up on that and I was like, well, actually, the Prime Directive wouldn't ever even, the phrase wouldn't exist with the people that we're talking about because, like the Orions, as far as I'm aware, were never members of the Federation, were they? If the criminals, they're not going to care about the Prime Directive anyway, so it's a stupid thing to say because they'll do whatever serves their interests most. And if that means breaking what are perceived as rules with a different organisation with which they are no longer associated or have never been associated that's a shit argument i've dismissed that that's been stricken from the record also <laughs> i take your prime directive breaches sir and i raise it with a i don't give a fuck i'll have that the federation distress signal we mentioned which sounds a bit like the computer alerts from the next generation the bosun or if you're american boatswain i only know this because i've been watching below deck <laughs> We say bosun the proper way. When Saru enters the bridge, the little whistle is played. It's a naval thing that harks back to fans of the original series. The one that we've kind of covered, which is Saru's catchphrase, hit it. That was one of the things Captain Pike said when he was introduced to Discovery in season two. Which, and I loved Pike, by the way, but even I thought that was a bit naff when he went, hit it. I was like, "Mm, no, let's not. What it should be noted, his actual catchphrase, which was used in the original series pilot, The Cage, he said, engage. Well, I'm fearful that they're going to say Saru's catchphrase is now going to be carry on, which sounds like the most wet of captain's things to say. It's essentially saying you were doing it right to begin with, you didn't need my input, and now I'm just simply giving you a nonsensical order to keep doing what you were doing because it was right in the first place and never required my involvement. Carry on. You know what I mean? It's just like, um, yeah. yeah. If he settles on that, it's not the Picard, is it? It's not the no. engage. We had loads, didn't he? Uh, Picard was the man, the man who knew the catchphrase and made it work. If Nike are sponsoring it, it'd just be, just do it. <laughs> I think this is going to be another one of those things like they did in Voyager where the Doctor was trying to find a name. I guess we're going to play catchphrase bingo for this end of the season. When the big bad of the episode, Asira, is in the junkyard, we get to see a Picard-era Starfleet badge. Why do all the baddies always kill people? Because the baddies. <laughs> I know, but if you keep on killing your foot soldiers, I mean, he was sort of more of a captain, wasn't he, really, with what he was doing? He was in charge of things, and I know he made a right royal dog's dinner of it, but he's also family, wasn't he? It's like, you've just killed. And I find that really lazy writing as well, because just going around killing people doesn't necessarily make you a fearful baddie like Lorca. Lorca was a good example because he wasn't going around necessarily killing people. There was just some weird darkness to his personality that you, you couldn't put your finger on it and that unnerved you. Volk was another one because Volk was technically a baddie but he wasn't a baddie. He was almost like a zealot Klingon believer. His strength in his beliefs made him dangerous because if things didn't fit within the confines of that tidy little box then it was mm-hmm. on the table as getting wiped out. That 
that made him unnerving as a baddie. So you don't have to be some lunatic that just kills everyone every time the, I don't know, the colour in over the line slightly. It's not like, yeah. yeah, off with his head. It's like, yeah, do you know what? That's been done, that. Well, loads of times, Asira is actually played by the actress Janet Kidder, who will be familiar to people who have seen Man in High Castle and Continuum, which is a time travel series. She has a resemblance to Margot Kidder. And the reason why that is, is because it's her niece. There we go. One of the things that does get established here is the slavery aspect was mentioned with the original series era assumed that the Orions dealt in inverted commas animal women as slaves the dancing women that you mentioned most notably the episode The Cage in the Enterprise episode Bound actually what happened is it subverted that assumption and revealed that the Orion women were using the illusion of slavery to actually control the Orion crime syndicate the power comes from the women as an appearance of being enslaved as I said earlier was because they were controlling the government so Saru is correct in his assumption but he's also wrong Dare I ask, what would you give this episode out of 10? Well, I had five written down. But having spoken to you for... Wow, do you want to know what I'm going to give it? Do you want me to guess? Yeah, go on. I think possibly three. Yeah, I'm going to go three. I feel this episode's score needs to reflect and properly punish it for the ordeal that I have been through this morning. I think this was abysmal. It was stupid. It was corny. It was badly written. It was a mess from storyline perspectives. I didn't care. I will never watch that episode again, even if I watch the season through again, which actually at the moment I've got no inclination to ever do because so far the last three or so episodes have been so nah that probably wouldn't but I would happily watch the whole season and skip this episode out and not feel as though I've missed anything in terms of the whole story arc of the season. Sad isn't it? And that's a damning indictment because I usually won't do that. I mean I remember watching was it Miami Vice? Jamie Foxx was one of them and Irish, the Irish guy, guy. Um, Farrell. Farrell. Tony um, Colin Farrell. Tony Farrell's brother. <laughs> Farrell. I watched that and actually walks out of the cinema that's probably one of the few well that's the only time I've ever left the cinema without watching the end of the film and a bit like that with TV series when I start watching it I usually have to watch it all the way through even if it's really really grim just because then I've got the fulfilment of being able to make a proper judgement about it this season is dangerously close to me not necessarily wanting to do it I did that with a film I misunderstood what the subject matter was I thought it was about cyclists having problems riding up a mountain and having their bikes break down broke bike mountain So, let us know your comments. If you disagree with us, please feel free to tell us why. If you think you're outrageously wrong in some of our decisions and conclusions, let us know. If you agree with us, let us know. We'll read out your thoughts and your comments next episode. We're happy for people to thoroughly disagree with us. You might think this was an amazing episode. That's fine. I'm all for that. I'm all for healthy debate. In fact, I would like for somebody to argue to educate me as to why I'm wrong. Obviously, we are never wrong so that will never happen however I'm always intrigued to understand different people's opinions because that adds nuance which is good I like nuance maybe we should try some nuance in some of the characters in next episode give us a follow on social media vote on the poll please do and if you want to sponsor the show God only knows why you would after this this outrageous rant then disco fever at the podstation.co.uk send us an email right dude I'm going to go and have a beer I think I'm going to reheat me coffee <laughs> thanks for listening guys yeah cheers we'll catch you next week we team out <laughs>